Good morning again. Do you know, it's such a beautiful day outside, isn't it? So beautiful. I love it when the weather's like this. Um, But even when it's raining, God is still good. And that is fact. Um, So last month, I don't know if you remember, I feel actually really far away here. Let's just move this a bit forwards. That's fine, yeah. Oh, there you go. (laughs) You're a bit closer now. Um, yeah, last month I spoke about the goodness of God. Um, who remembers that? Anybody? A few people. Um, I spoke about the link between God's glory and his goodness. So remember when Moses is so bold um, to ask God, show me your glory. And God's response to him was, I'll make my goodness pass before you. And so his glory is his goodness. So that's what I spoke about last time. And this morning I want to share about honour. If you want a title for this, I've kind of given it um, the title, Who is Worthy of Honour? And then um, it's about building a culture of honour. And I want to say that I'm not qualified (laughs) to stand up here, really, and and speak about honour. Because I am on a journey with this. So everything that I'm speaking about this morning that's from my own listening and reading and study of the word is um, the beginning of a journey that I'm on. So all this stuff is speaking to me and encouraging me and provoking me and challenging me as much as I hope it does for you this morning. And um, it's this is some teaching about honour, but really um, living a life that's honouring and honourable is a supernatural thing. Um, It can't just be stuff that we get in our head but it's what we walk out day by day and it's honouring God in our relationship with him and allowing him to flow through us so that we honour each other. So yeah, just wanted to kind of give that to you first. So um, we know that God's glory is his goodness and his godlikeness, his nature. And honouring him is recognising that glory. It's responding to him in worship because of who he is. And that's a lifestyle, isn't it? It's not just when we come and sing songs on a Sunday morning, but it's a lifestyle of worship and relationship with him. And uh, honouring one another is seeing that glory, that deposit of glory that he's put in each one of us. Because we all have that. We're made in his image. Um, He's put that within us. And so it's recognising in each other And not just in this room, but recognising in each other the glory, the deposit of glory that he's put there. Um, So the Hebrew word for honour is korbad, and that's spelled K-A-B-A-D. That's the Hebrew word. And it means giving someone weight and glory with regard to honour. And this is the word that you'll find in the fifth commandment where it says, honour your mother and father. As the Lord your God commanded you, then you'll live a long, full life in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. And we'll come back to that verse later on. And you can also think of honour in these ways. I'm sure you've already got going round in your head what you think honour is. You can think of it as to respect, to admire, to promote, to give value to, to glorify, to elevate another status, to give prestige to, to give approval And unless you're not human, I think in life we all want to feel honoured, don't we? If we're honest, we all want to feel honoured. And, you know, honour is only something that can be given. It's only something that can be given. If we ask for honour or demand honour, 
It's not honour at all. It's something completely different. And if we look at worldly honour, it's often given because either someone deserves it or they've earned it, or um, maybe you want there to be mutual honour. So you'll honour hoping that you'll get some honour back or another kind of payback. Um, That's often how the world views honour. And even in the church, we can have a skewed view of honour. So we often honour people who we don't know very well. Um, So... um, maybe a visiting speaker or a a guest worship leader, you know, we will give them honour. And that is not wrong, by the way. Um, I want everyone who comes through these doors, whether they're a guest speaker or worship leader or whether they are from the local community who just heard about us on the street somewhere or on the web, I want everyone to feel honoured. But So it's not wrong to honour those those guests that we have. But um, if honour... To, to build a culture of honour, you have to honour from the person who's cleaning the toilets to the person who's speaking to the worship leader to, to who's doing kids' work. You know, it's got to cover all bases. That is, that is true honour. So first, I want to look at what the Bible, uh, about who the Bible tells us is worthy of honour. So I'm kind of flipping it round, looking at that first, and then we'll learn a bit more about honour as we do that. And the Bible tells us, obviously, that God is worthy of all honour. So Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So it's not a surprise, is it, that the Bible tells us to honour the Lord, our God. John 5.23 says this, Anyone who does not honour the Son is certainly not honouring the Father who sent him. So we need to be honouring the Son as well. And it's when we understand who God truly is and we have that loving relationship with him, then we'll want to honour, we'll desire to honour him in all that we do. Like the word says, do everything as unto the Lord to bring him honour. And the Bible also tells us to honour these people. So kings. In 1 Peter, I'm going to be giving you quite a lot of scripture, so if you want to jot stuff down, go for it, and then you can look it up in your own time as well. So 1 Peter 2.17 says, fear God and respect the king. So respect is is another word for honour there. Parents, as I've already mentioned, yeah, we won't go into uh, that whole debate this morning. (laughs) Um, We'll leave that for another time. So yeah, parents, we need to honour parents, as I've mentioned, Exodus 20.12 Honour your father and mother, then you'll have a long, full life in the land that the Lord is giving you. We need to honour wives, or husbands need to honour wives. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, In the same way, you husbands must give honour to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. And I just want to say, to balance that, it talks about wives as well in relationship with husbands in that same passage. Um, So I don't want you to think I'm being sexist or feminist. It says we should honour widows. 1 Timothy 5.3 says, honour widows that are widows indeed. Oh, try that. Honour widows that are widows indeed. Bit of a tongue twister. And it tells us to honour the least and you'll probably know this little, um, this few verses in Matthew 25, 37 to 40. It says, Then these righteous ones will replied, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. If we are to fully honor God, uh, the Lord our God, then we must also honor these people. But the Bible goes one step further. It says that we should actually honor everyone. Did you know that? It says honor everyone. In fact, 1 Peter 2.17, it says honor everyone. Wow, just let that sink in. So why should we honor everyone? Why should we honor everyone? Um, If you want to turn with me to John 8, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'll let you go there. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. John 8, and starting in verse 1. Okay, I'll start reading it and you can catch up. This is from the New Living Translation. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Do you know, I, I want to know what Jesus wrote in the sand. That is going to be my first question when I get to heaven. I want to know what he wrote. Maybe he wrote, you are forgiven or I forgive you. God forgives you. I don't know. But it was powerful, whatever it was. And there is a lot of treasure to be found in that verse. But I want to focus on what Jesus said. And in effect, he brought us all down to the same level. When he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Because not one of us has the right to do that. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3.23. With this statement, Jesus levels the playing field. But it doesn't stop there. We look to, if we look to Romans 5 verse 8, just a bit later on, it tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. So we're all on that level playing field of no one is sin free, only Jesus. But then he says, God says, I've elevated you. So this is where you should be. But because of my love for you, I've gone like this and I've brought you out of the dust of the ground and you're now seated with Jesus. Amazing. And we know that when Jesus died, he put an end to pain and sickness and suffering and death itself. And he gave us the gift of eternal life. Yeah. But 
in his death and resurrection, he also honoured us. He elevated us. He redeemed us through his death and resurrection. And he brought us up into that position of being joint heirs with Jesus. So, you know, it says Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, crowned in glory. And that is the status that God has given us because of what Jesus did. That blows me away. Jesus humbled himself as the Son of God in order to honor us and elevate us while we were still sinners. Philippians 2 verse 6 says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus changed the relationship between us and God. We were once separated, but now we're one with him. Jesus, it says, Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross. And Jesus saw the glory in each of us. Everyone that had been, everyone that was going to come, everyone that was present at that time, he saw the glory that the Father had put in each one of us. And it was because of that he went to the cross. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So now we all have equal value with him, in him. And Philippians 2 says that we must have the same attitude as Christ did of humbling ourselves as he did. Proverbs 29, 23 says that pride ends in humiliation. How many know that to be true? I do. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. That's what Jesus did. He humbled himself and he brought us honor and he brought the father honor through what he did. And this is key. You can only give honor when you humble yourself. You can only humble yourself when you know who you are and are secure in your identity. When we truly understand and we live out that identity as sons and daughters of God, that's when we can truly humble ourselves because we're secure in that. And we can honor everyone. We can see that deposit of glory in each other. Because I don't know about you, but... Um, in life, when we, we, if we're afraid or we see something in ourselves that is not lined up with God, we can look for things in somebody else to make us feel better. Okay, that's, that, that's pretty much how humans work, if we're honest. We want to find something worse in somebody else than it is in us. But just remember, Jesus leveled that playing field. Nobody is without sin. So, yeah, humility brings honor. And you can only honor when you're secure in your identity. And honor won't become a culture amongst us. So really, um, the things that we're talking about at the moment, we really want to see those things become a culture amongst us because they're heavenly. They're heavenly things. They're heavenly cultures. Um, they're not 
a good idea of mankind, but it's, it's what God has spoken to us through his word that he wants to be lived out on this earth. And that is how heaven is going to come to earth. And um, I can't remember where I was going with that now. But honour, it won't become a culture amongst us until it's something that we can each walk in individually. Yeah, amen? Yeah. And, you know, that goes especially for any of us that are leaders here. We've got to model this. We've got to um, just live this. And, um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll, I mean, we're all leading somebody, aren't we? Somebody is always looking to us. So, yeah, we need to walk in this day by day as an individual culture. And really the root of honour is love. The root of honour is love. And we honour people because we love people. And we love people, that's everyone, as the Bible says, because the Father loves them. Because he's put his goodness in each one that he's created in his image. We might not think that they look like that they've been created in God's image, but they have been. They are spirit beings. So um, whether this deposit of goodness is shining out from people or whether it's piled under a whole heap of dirt, it is there in people. And honour seeks out the good. It seeks out the good in people. And it doesn't stumble over what they're not. That is a major challenge for us. It's a major challenge because not everybody acts out of their true identity because some people don't know what their true identity is. So how are they possibly going to act out of that true identity when they're not aware of actually who they've made, been made to be? That's where we come in. Um, have you heard this saying before? It's based on Proverbs eleven twenty seven, and it's been rephrased like this. Anyone can find the dirt in someone. Be the one that finds the gold. Anyone can find the dirt in someone. Be the one that finds the gold. Wow. Yeah, I want to be someone like that. That's who God's called us to be, to call out that goodness in people, to make people see in themselves that goodness. But we've got to see with spiritual eyes, not natural eyes. We can't do it with natural eyes, only with natural eyes. Um, Bill Johnson, Bethel in California, he explains honour like this. It's treating everyone as if they were Jesus standing before you. Wow, that's a game changer. That is a game changer right there. It's treating everyone as if they were Jesus standing right before you. God help us. Really, God help us. Um, at this point, I want to show you a video clip, and it's quite a lengthy one. But um, it's from a guy called Danny Silk. It's, it's him talking, and some of you may know him. He's one of the um, leaders at um, Bethel in Reading in California, Bethel Church. And um, a lot of my study has been based around what these guys have... They've been walking in this for years upon years upon years. So this is not something that can just happen overnight. And by the way, I'm not saying that none of us are already on this journey of honouring. Um, because I already see that amongst us. So that's great. Um, but I just want to encourage us and provoke us to just go deeper into that. Um, so yeah, so um, also I think I've said this before. When we kind of use examples from Bethel and talk about Bethel, um, it's not because we're putting Bethel up here on this pedestal and worshipping Bethel. Um, I, 
I sense that that happens sometimes, or it's misconstrued as being that in other, um, in other kind of meet settings. Exactly, thank you. Um, but when you see something of heaven outworked, yeah. you know, pay attention. <laughs> Um, because God's doing something through them because of what they're living out day by day in their own lives and as a corporate people, a church family. And God is doing stuff because of how they've positioned themselves. So I just want to say that. So I'm not going, yes, you know, elevating this talk that, that um, Dan, you're going to see Danny um, speak. But um, the reason why I do want you to listen to it is because um, he gives... Um, a 20-minute story, actually, of something that happened amongst them. And I won't go into the details, because he will. Um, but it just shows that outworking of the culture of honour. And, um, yeah, I don't think I need to really say much more. So I've got a little bit to say afterwards, but I won't go on for really long. So, yeah, roll the clip, please. We had a, a situation, and and, and I'm, I, we have, I have... Literally a hundred of these stories I could tell, but the one I'm going to tell, and Bill asked me to share this, is, is, a, is a, a foundation piece to this culture. This particular story I'm going to share with you is something that happened a couple years ago, which is something we don't do very often. We don't tell stories from a couple years ago. We usually have like, you know what happened today? <laughs> but I'm, I'm pulling back from the archives here to share with you a story that that happened in our school of ministry. We had two ministry students that were, you know, worship leader, you know, in the first year they were, you know, participants, you know, in a, in a, a glorious way. And they're, they're planning to get married and they graduate from the first year of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. <laughs> they go through the summer they apply for second year. They're accepted into second year. And at one point, Banning comes to me, and he says, well, we have a problem. I said, okay. He says, I have two students who have confessed to me that they had sex over the summer. I said, oh, okay, well, what are you going to do? He goes, well... That wouldn't be such a problem, except she's pregnant. I said, ah. A pregnant second year Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry student <laughs> roaming the halls, unwed mother in the Supernatural School of Ministry. That's going to be something we're going to have to explain. <laughs> So I said, all right, well, let's get, let's get them together. Let's talk about it. So Banning and Jill and these two students come in. And, and uh, now here's the deal. that These two students come into my office who I've never met these students. I don't know them. They don't know me, really. I've maybe taught in the school or something, but they don't know me. And they come into my office, and they are absolutely ashamed they are absolutely ashamed of what they have done, and they know the predicament that they have placed us in. 
And they have come to sit before us, fully expecting us to punish them for their mistakes. Fully expecting and ready to receive the judgment for their sin. That's the posture that they've entered this scene with. And so we begin the process by asking Josh. Josh. Actually, I said, Josh, thank you for coming in here and trusting us with this situation. Thank you very much. You don't know me. You don't know what's going to happen. And I thank you for the vulnerability that you have just offered. Now, let me ask you this, Josh. What's the problem? And he looks at Banning. He says, didn't Banning talk to you? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Banning talked to me. He goes, you want me to say it? I said, if you know what it is, yes, I want to know what the problem. He goes, well, we had sex this summer a bunch of times. I said, well, now I thought you stopped doing that. Because we totally did. We totally did. Like a month before we came to school. I said, okay, so that problem. That problem. Yeah. Yeah. I said, okay. So what's the problem? Well, she's pregnant. I said, all right. Is there, is there anything that we can do about that? No. I said, all right, so what is the problem? I don't understand the question. <laughs> I said, Josh, if we were going to spend time today solving a problem, what would that problem be? I don't know. I said, Josh, have you repented? Yeah. Of what? I don't know. <laughs> I said, all right, now, Josh, that's the problem. I see what you're saying, yeah. So... We need to find a problem here to solve. And that's what this is about, Josh. He's like, okay. Okay, I said, Josh, let me ask you some more questions. And please notice, I am asking questions. I'm not telling him what I think. I'm not telling him what to think. I'm not trying to convince him of my amazing perspective. I am searching for the glory and the wisdom and the capability that is in this young man. And it needs to be raised to the surface so he can remember who he is in this house. Because he forgot who he is. He thinks he's one of those people that needs to be kicked to the curb. And he is prepared to be kicked to the curb. And so questions cause him and the Holy Spirit to run around and search for wisdom and knowledge. 
Josh, did you not know it was a bad idea to sleep with your girlfriend? I totally knew that. So what happened? I don't know. You don't know or you're not thinking about it? Well, it's probably because we were like staying up till two in the morning watching movies at her house. You think? <laughs> totally. But you know what? I tried to leave. I tried to leave over and over. I would just like, we'd be in the situation. I'd say, you know what? We can't be doing this. We shouldn't be here. We, you know what? Last night we really went, we went too far. We, we should, I'm leaving. I'm going. And she would get so mad at me. She would get so mad at me. She'd call me names. She would say I was rejecting her. And it was just hell for a week. So I just stayed there. I'm not saying that I didn't like it or I wasn't part of it or something. I totally was, but it just wasn't worth fighting with her about it. <laughs> All right. So, Josh, what you're telling me is this. You're telling me that you were more concerned about her being mad at you than you were concerned about you protecting her from you. Yeah. So, so when angry, so when you're around angry people, it's easy for you to let them control who you are. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. So all it takes for you to abandon your character and your integrity is for someone to be upset with you. Yeah. I said, Josh, is that a problem? <laughs> yeah. So, so if we could build a solution to that problem, would it be worth the meeting that we're having? Totally. I said, fabulous, and let's work on that. Robin, what's the problem? I don't know. You don't know or you're afraid to think about it? And we eventually get down to where Robin doesn't trust people. And it's a, it's a stronghold in her life where she does not let people speak into her life. It has wreaked havoc with her. She is fearful and isolated and often stubborn and defensive. And we get down to the bottom. That's the problem. So we have two completely different problems than what either one of them expected to be, be beheaded over. And now we have two people who have their problem in their hand. They're going, you, you. It used to be, you. And now they're becoming powerful. And I ask them the next question. Who has been affected by this problem in your life? And now you can see them searching the faces of the people they love who don't yet know that Robin's pregnant. And this is where the tears begin to flow. Here we go. Here are the people who love us and believe in us. 
Here are the people who have honored us. These are the precious relationships we want to protect. Their parents, siblings, their leaders in the school of ministry, their leaders back at home. Uh, One of their churches takes up a monthly offering and sends it to the school of ministry to pay for their tuition. Uh, One of them has a newly saved brother who thinks that that, that they, they hung the moon and they are a representative of Jesus on the earth to them. And they are weeping as they begin to list the names of people who've been affected by this problem that's going on in their life. And we just camped there for a little while. We just let the, the godly sorrow that leads us to repentance have its work and bear its fruit while they were just sobbing. And no amount of threat or punishment can create what is happening inside of them right now. And that is a beautiful thing that's happening, and it all happened from asking questions. And then the third part is, what are you going to do? You made a pretty good-sized mess here. What are you going to do to clean it up? Another question. And they began to go through their list of names. And when I asked who was affected, or when I, yeah, who's been affected by this problem, they had a list of people who were important to them, and I had a list of people who were important to me that they didn't get to. So I said, what about the rest of the second-year students? How are they going to be affected by this? What about the first-year students that are coming in that will see you as leaders in this community? How will they be affected by this problem? And they both agreed to include them in their list of what are we going to do about it. And they go through the list, and they begin to come up with solutions. We're going to call these people. We're going to write letters. We're going to inform them of what's going on. We're going to repent and ask them to forgive us. And they go through the list. I said, how much time do you need? They said, a week. We want a week to be able to contact our family and clean this mess up. And I said, all right. I said, we'll work on the school of ministry when you get back. And they went to Bill and Chris and and the other staff members, and, and they had it all done in a week. Now, these are people who are ready to be kicked out of the school. These are people who have failed and deserve to be punished. These are people who are ashamed of who they've become, who are now have reached into their glory, pulled out the glory as sons and daughters of the king, and are powerful to do something about this thing that has been messing with them for a really long time. And they're doing something about it because all they can do is clean up their mess. That's all they could do. They can't change the past. But I can go to you who I love and I can say, please forgive me. Please restore the standard of our relationship. Please allow me to manifest my love towards you and protect this relationship. Please let me clean up this mess. They came back to school. They weren't gone for the whole time, but they they came back, and there was a time where 
second year had a break, had a moment where they could they could do something about it. And they called me up, and I went up there, and and uh, I gathered the class together, and I said, "All right, something's about to happen in here that maybe none of you've ever gone through before." I just want all of you to remember that each and every one of you in this room is a low-life scumbag (laughs) without Jesus in your life. I want you to start there. Josh and Robin, please come here. They're going to share some things with you that... If any of you have for many judgments about them, I want you to come and talk to me, all right? I want you to come and talk to me before I ever hear it coming from somebody else had heard you. And Josh gets up there and he says, I discovered a problem in my life I didn't know, I didn't realize I had. It's been causing a lot of problems for me. I'm working on that. I have more hope now than I've ever had solving this problem. But as it stands, here's what's going on. And he explains the whole thing. And Robin stands there with them, and she does the same thing. And I have Brandon, one of the, the students that is kind of a fatherly figure in that room. He's a young man, but he's still a, very much a leader in there. And I asked, I said, Brandon, would you come and just pray for them and forgive them for, as a class and, uh, and just restore? You know, restore the standard. So he gets up, and when he does, 47 students get up with him, and they all come, and they all surround Josh and Robin. And they begin to pray and, and forgive, and they begin to thank them for not leaving the school. They begin to thank them for trusting them with this part of their life. They begin to pray and prophesy over them. They begin to pray over the baby and prophesy over the baby and, and, and accept the baby into the community. And they begin to uh, just weep together. And it is this amazing time. I was, myself was stunned by the the response, and yet at the same time, I knew, I know these people. And so someone comes over from first year and says, hey, first year has time right now. There's a a spot. You want to do this now? And I said, do you guys want to do this now? And they said, well, we might as well. We're in it up to our eyeballs now. I said, all right, let's go. So Josh and Robin head over to first year, and 48 second-year students go with them. And they come into first year. Now, first year is 100 strangers to Josh and Robin. Never met them in their life. And as they enter the room, the second-year students line the walls like a bunch of angels. As Josh and Robin come up and they stand before 100 strangers. And they begin to repent. And Kevin Drury was in there, and uh, I knew he was a pastor, and I, that's all I knew of him, really. And I said, Kevin, would you come up here and, and just pray over these two and just bless them and forgive them? And so he gets up, and as he comes, a hundred first-year students stand up and come and gather around these two. And Kevin begins to pray over them and prophesy over them, and he begins to break the curse of shame off of this baby. 
and illegitimacy off of this baby. And he begins to, he begins to sever the enemy's legal right to access to destroy this child. And a hundred strangers embrace and, and love on Josh and Robin that day. Now, months later, Josh and Robin get married, and they give birth to Anya, little Anya. And from the day Anya's born, she's in trouble. She's in trouble because she has some strange blood or problem or something. I don't know what it is, but she is, she is dying day by day. Her light is going out day by day. And, and they're living at a children's hospital, especially hospital, in Sacramento, I think it was. And, and report after report is the baby's dying, the baby's dying. And we prayed, and we, we, we gathered together and at different times with different reports, and we prayed. And they said, uh, they, Robin calls and says, they said she's not going to live another day. She's going to die. And we remembered... <laughs> We remembered that the enemy has no right to this baby. And we remembered the honor and the protection that we placed on this family. And we as a team, I remember praying in a staff meeting and just declaring what Kevin had prayed. And the next day, Robin calls and she says... They don't know what happened, but they're calling Anya the Lazarus baby. <laughs> because Anya is about three and a half years old now. She's about, she's, she's amazing. She's healthy. Strong, beautiful. And I think, I think it was Robin. She was at the, the third year uh, ceremony, celebration, whatever it was, reunion that we had. And uh, she was one of the speakers, and she got up and she said, you know, I just want to thank the leaders in this, in this house. Because... You managed a situation in our life that gave us life. And you'll never know how that has affected us. You know, and you're right. You just do it every day, hundreds of times. You do that. And what you do is you build strength in other people. Wow, there's so much in there that we could kind of unpack and discuss. And um, that might be something that you want to do in life group, say, or if you, if you gather together. Um, but that situation, that could have gone so differently. That it could have gone in numerous different directions. But for it to go like that, for, um, you know, when, when something happens, a... Um, like on the surface, an, an act of something or, um, I don't know, you know, something behavioral um, that is against somebody or is, you know, just blatant sin 
that is seen, there's always something going on underneath. And what I love about that is they didn't first look at the problem as the two were thinking that was what he was saying, what's the problem here? And they were like, well, duh, you know, it's obvious, isn't it? But no, there was something going, there was a root going on underneath. And that's where they looked. And then um, that then, because you can, can see that, the, the real issue, the real problem, then that um, empowered them to actually deal with those things. And then obviously they had a mess to clean up. But they weren't just alone in that. Um, they were supported in that. And, um, and just the way those students got round and, and, and honoured them and, and restored that relationship. You know, that wow, we've got a lot to learn from that. So um, I just think that's really powerful, what he shared. So that's why, that's why I wanted to show it. And um, a culture of honour doesn't mean that there isn't place for confrontation or room for confrontation. Um, in fact, um, the Bethel guys, they're really open about the confrontation that goes on. But it's the way that people deal with people when there's confrontation. And that being vulnerable and being humble to allow confrontation to actually come. Because where there's people, there's always going to be confrontation. There's always going to be differences of opinion and values and beliefs and just different ways of thinking and doing. And um, so, and, and until Jesus comes back and perfects us, there'll always be sin in there somewhere. Um, so, yeah, there will be confrontation, but a culture of honor means that we can talk about it. We can get together, we can work through stuff, we can discuss stuff, because it's the way that we treat each other in the midst of that, and the way that actually what is, what is paramount is our relationship with one another. It's not what happens about what time we have teas on a Sunday morning, or um, I don't know what time we end the service that's in question, but it's about how can we keep our relationship, um, f uh, you know, the priority. And um, where am I? Yeah, a culture of honor protects relationships because of the way we treat each other while we disagree. And that culture breeds trust in one another, absolute trust in one another. And it requires trust. When there is no honor, there is fear. And fear always wants to control. Have you noticed that in life? Fear always, always wants to control. But when we honor, just like they did in that clip, we empower and we place value on each other. And there is freedom for us all to be all that God's made us to be in that. Um, honor brings life. Honor brings life. The commandment that I talked about, the fifth commandment, uh, the commandment to honor our father and mother is the first commandment that comes with a promise. And the promise is life. And it's fullness of life. It's a full, long life. And if you think about it, the majority of people, that's the first relationship that they will have in life is with their mother and father. And not only, not only that, that it's the first relationship, but these two people, the mum and the dad, have partnered with the creator to bring this life into the world. And when we honor our parents, we protect the relationship that we have with them. And we keep our position as son and daughter. 
instead of becoming an orphan. And um, when I was speaking about the extravagant father, I looked at the parable of the prodigal son and talked about um, sons and slaves, basically. And that the elder brother, um, he was faithful and he was dutiful to his father. And um, he had access to everything in his father's house, yet he had an orphan spirit. He didn't have that connection with his father going on. So he had... He, had an orphan spirit. And um, when we're young, honouring our parents looks very much like obedience. So they ask us to do something or to stop doing something, and we can be obedient to that. But when we get older and we start thinking for ourselves and um, feeling things for ourselves and coming up with new ways of doing stuff because we're unique in that, um, things things can get a bit heated sometimes. As parents of teenagers in this room might be able to nod along, or if you've had teenagers, we've got all that to come. Um, but you can clash, because you're, you are not your parents. You're not your mother. You're not your father. You might have some things, qualities that are similar. And, uh, you know, it can lead to separation in the worst cases. It can lead to separation if not separation in terms of um, being in, in the parent's house, it can lead to separation of heart. But where honour rules and reigns, there's a way of treating one another with value and respect, promoting one another and empowering one another and seeing that glory, that deposit of goodness in one another. And that relationship... Um, is a pattern for all our other earthly relationships. And I believe that's why that is the first one. That's all the, other, the first four commandments are kind of this way with us and God. And then the others are horizontal relationships. And that is the pattern for our other relationships in life. So finally, I want us to look, look together at this passage of scripture. And it's um, Matthew 22. You can go there if you want with me. And it's verses 37 to 40. I'm not going to go on for much longer, I promise. And uh, I'll let you go, go there and I'll start reading. So Jesus replied, um, so he was asked, what, what is the greatest commandment, teacher? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second equally important commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. The entire laws and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And what I want to do is put the word honour where it says love. So, honour the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. And honour your neighbour as yourself. So within that, um, just within that reply, response of Jesus, there is a clear series of relationships going on where we need to outwork honour. The first is our honour of God, which encompasses our entire lives, doesn't it? All that we are, all that we say, all that we do, all that we're about, so that we are pouring out our lives in worship and honour to him. And the second is that we must honour ourselves. We must love ourselves. And I think we find that hard. I don't, well, I don't know about you, but I find it hard. It, it feels, yeah, it feels a bit... I don't know the word. It feels a bit strange to do that. But what we have to see in ourselves, because we know ourselves really, really well, don't we? 
We know why we do, do stuff. We know why we have certain habits. We know why we react a certain way. We know what pushes our buttons. We know ourselves so well. Not as well as God knows us, but we know ourselves so well. And we have to look inwards to see what God's deposited in us. And that's not wrong to do. That's not narcissistic. Um, it's not, obviously we can't stay there and we can't focus on ourselves, but we need to see what it is that God's put in us because then we can go after that in our lives. We can run after that. We can seek God for that. We can ask him to grow us in those things so that we go from glory to glory. So, but we don't stay there. Um, yeah, we've got, to, we've got to steward that glory. And it says that you must honor your, uh, love your neighbor or honor your neighbor as yourself. So we don't get stuck there with ourselves. But we have to see what's in us to be able to see what's in other people. And um, l- like love, honor can't just be lip service. So you can't just say, oh, I, l- I love you. You know, it's got to be backed up by something, by, by action, by attitude, by um, just the way you are with someone. So if I, I could say I love you every day to Mark when we wake up in the morning, but if I don't, um, and it's not all about doing stuff, but if I don't um, respond to him in a loving way, if I'm not um, tactile with him, if I, um, yeah, if I don't, if I don't serve him, and and vice versa, then he's not going to know. There's not going to be substance to that love. Do you see where I'm coming from? So, and honour's the same thing. It can't just be lip service. You know, I honour you, Becca. What what does that mean? You know, if it's just lip service. I have got to live that out in my relationship with you and with each other. Romans 12.10, last scripture, encourages us to love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It's something we can delight in. It's not, you know, God says that his burden, and his burden is for this because it's the culture of heaven. He says his burden is light and it's easy. So we can take delight in honoring one another and loving one another. The Bible says that we'll be transformed from glory to glory. And when we have a culture of honor personally, um, then we can position ourselves to learn from God and from others. And therefore, we grow in wisdom and we grow in understanding and we grow in glory because none of us have the, full, the fullness of God's glory inside us. You know, um, we need each other because God reveals his glory through us as a company, as a family, as a people, as his children together. And when we outwork a culture of honor amongst the church family, then we bring honor to Jesus and we lift his name high. His name will be seen. And then we have the opportunity of drawing others into this amazing honoring and loving culture, this way that we do stuff. And that can impact a community. It can impact a city. It can impact a nation and the nations because people go out from here. So we're co-laborers with Christ to see the advancement of God's kingdom and government of which there'll be no end. It's not just about us here sitting in this room and and this culture that we create, but it's about what do we take out into the world? What do we deposit in others so that they can take it out? In this house, we are real. But 
we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.